Welcome to episode 5 of Casey Van Etzen Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, Casey Van Etzen. It has been a while since my last episode. However, with much opportunity in the future, I promise to bring consistent episodes. This past week, I got the opportunity to speak with UTRGV women's soccer head coach, Glad Bugario, and spoke about soccer lifestyle in Romania and his time around the game of soccer. Without further more, here's the time I had with Coach Bugariu. I'm here with UTRGV women's soccer head coach, Glad Bugariu. Coach, thank you for the opportunity to sit down with me and talk soccer. It's great. Thank you for having me on. Let's get started. As a young boy growing up in Bucharest, Romania, which is the capital of, which is the capital, soccer is the most popular sport. Did it come naturally loving the game? I mean, I think, you know, when you're surrounded by it all the time, you know, and it just starts from the streets, really, you know, the only activity we had in those days and then it was during communism, very limited. We didn't have that much television. There was certainly no social media or iPads or things like that. So the thing you had was playing on the street with your friends and uh, naturally played soccer. So we, would, you know, we'd sit there in our neighborhood. There was hardly any cars and we'd play on the street. One team was style Bucharest, the other team was Dinamo Bucharest or similar, similar mm-hmm. teams like this. And you just play. And uh, of course, you know, you catch the, the bug and, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to make a living out of it. At the age of 10, transitioning into the United States, where soccer, where soccer is not as popular, how did you cope with the new lifestyle? Well, I mean, obviously, when you leave your native country under tough circumstances, you know, obviously it wasn't that we just packed our bags and left. It doesn't doesn't work that way during communist times in Romania. Um, you know, we had to basically run away and find a new life in America. And that process itself was a two-year process of not just refugee camps, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to get get approved by the United States because it's not, you know, it's different in those days. You'd, you'd go through a, a vetting process. You know, they would have to decide that you're good enough to come to the, the United States. So we went through that, my father first, and then my mother and I a few years later. Um, and obviously the beginning was very tough. It had nothing to do with yeah. sport. It was just trying to adapt to life um, in the country. And then slowly and steadily, you know, things things got better, but um, you know, at first it was it was very tough. Now, sports in general bring great opportunity for others. However, for you, how has soccer brought you great opportunities? Well, to be fair, um, really, my entire professional life and, and most of the money I've ever made have come through through soccer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even when I was a young boy, I, I used to ref referee young kids, and then from there that. You know, I worked in a soccer store. That was my first full-time job, basically my first real job. And, you know, as, as I make my way up the coaching ladder, you know, I was able to, to take my, my passion into my work, which, you know, is very fortunate because not many people can do that, you know, have a, have a real passion for, for something, whatever that may be, and be able to also make a living out of it. And, you know, it's tough. It's not, never, you never start about, you know, you start about the business, about money. You start with it as as just a hobby and mm-hmm. it develops into a job and yes it has its ups and downs but like I said you know we're very fortunate to be able to do what we love 
Now let's talk about your time around soccer. Give us a brief summary of the experience you've had over the years around the sport. Well, once I uh, finished my playing career, so I played at a small NAIA school called Brevard College, and mm -hmm. then I finished my degree um, shortly after that at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And I tried to make it to the next level. I had, I had, I got close a little bit here and there, but in reality, I, I was not, I was not good enough to make it as a professional player. And uh, you know, coaching was the next best thing. So we sort of, so I started my career. I, my first job was a um, youth coach, you know, youth coach under 13 boys. Um, I was a former goalkeeper, so I also was director of goalkeeping in a local club, and mm -hmm. that propelled me to a, an assistant coach at a small junior college in North Carolina. And from there, I ended up taking my first head coaching job at, at Meredith College, which is a Division three. which is funny enough, I, I coached women. That was the first time I ever did it, and I didn't like yeah. it, you know, at the time. Wow. You know, it was, it was very weird. I didn't enjoy my experience there and ended up becoming the technical director and national team coach of the Virgin Islands at 25 years old. And I did that job for two years, which was very exciting. I coached almost 30 international matches. Uh, got to travel around the Caribbean, pretty much every country. Got to coach every single national team from men, women, senior national team, juniors. I did pretty much every job that you can imagine in the country. I was the only full-time coach I had. Uh, from there, I moved on to Grenada. Mm -hmm. And I was the assistant men's national team coach of Grenada. Um, I did that for a year. I, was, I played against the United States in a World Cup qualifier. So I'm on the bench there twice against Bruce Arena and big stars on the team in those days and uh, from there I came back to the United States when once that ended and um, you know I was, I was given an opportunity by a friend of mine uh, who was the men's the men's coach at a, at a division two called Belmont Abbey right outside of Charlotte mm -hmm. they're looking for a women's coach um, I had my doubts because my experience at a division three level was, was negative yeah um but, you know, I went to Belmont Abbey. I needed a job, and, and I, I did that at Division II level, and it was the best experience I've, I've ever had. Um, I love coaching the, the women's game, and it was very rewarding in many ways. We were very successful, and um, I never looked back since. Um, mm -hmm. I went from there to Division I South Carolina State, which was the worst team in the country at the time that I took it over. Um, we turned them into a conference champion as coach of the year, and that led to this opportunity at UTRGV to start the program from scratch. I think the administration here that hired me, I think they figured if I could turn the worst Division One team into a conference champion, then certainly I can start a program from scratch and make it successful. And, uh, yeah, for sure. You know, we've, we've been able to do that. And we've had five winning seasons in a row now and we continue to move, move on. You know, there's times when I had good fortune here too. I, you know, I also had an administration that was very... Um, open with some of my sides projects. I, I coached St. Vincent's national team mm -hmm. on the side uh, a couple of years ago in 2015. And then in 2019, I was Moldova's under nine, under 15 national team coach um, as well for a year. So, um, you know, I have a vast experience in, in every facet of the game. And I think that really helps me here with the college. Yeah, for sure. Now with soccer in the United States, not as popular like it is in other countries, what do moments like United States men's team defeating Mexico in CONCACAF Gold Cup in extra time uh, bring to the sport? I, I think, to be fair, 
I think soccer is a lot more popular in the United States in the last 10 years than it's probably has ever been in the past. Mm-hmm. If you look at the MLS, for example, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's the seventh highest attended league in the world. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, an impressive stat. I mean, people are coming to watch the game, Yeah, um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's growing in popularity all the time. If you look at some of the crowds that like Atlanta United get, mm-hmm. Seattle and Vancouver and these types of teams, it's, it's huge amounts of people that come to the games. Um, anytime the U.S. beats Mexico, it's one of the world's greatest derbies. So yeah. regardless of who beats who in those things, it's a, it's a memorable game for everyone, mm-hmm. all involved, you know, the people from, from that particular country. Um, and I think you know, if you look historically, there was a period when I think the United States dominated Mexico for, for a number, number of years, and then it, it switched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it looks like it's switching back. So, um, you know, that's what rivalry is about. That's what Derby games are about. And, uh, you know, those, those games are great. I've, I've been to a USA-Mexico game in the yeah. past, so I know what it's like. Now, being a coach who brings in young squads and having successful seasons on and off, the field what does that bring to you not only as a coach but a person that loves the game of soccer well obviously our, our success keeps me employed so that, that certainly yeah. that certainly helps um you know but I, I try to look at it on a, on a different level I try to look at it as you know try to impose my philosophies and my, my mm-hmm. ideas about the game upon a group of players um and I think um uh, Certainly, we've been able to do that. I think the players have bought into our culture and, and uh, in terms of what we want to do. And that's most rewarding when you see the things you work on on the training field being applied to the matches. Um, yeah. That's the thing that, that gives me the most satisfaction. Now, uh, having now being head coach for UTPA uh, and UTRGB women's soccer the last seven years, having the last five consecutive seasons, like you said earlier, with a winning season, what does it bring to this women's uh, soccer program at UTRGB? Well, I hope it brings, it gives us some recognition, you know, in mm-hmm. Texas and, and regionally as well. I think with all the transitions that have gone on from UTPA to UTRGB and those things, and maybe perhaps even our location. Yeah we haven't really put our name out there and there's still times when we recruit mm-hmm. in Texas that people don't know what UTRGB means. So every time we, we can go out and have success, especially against teams from Texas, it, it gives, it gives the whole university more credibility and not just mm-hmm. women's soccer, just any sport in general. That's why athletics is really the most important part of the university because it's our front door. It's our front porch. It's the people mm-hmm. that see most. So the truth is, is like when, when we travel, all, all the teams, any of the teams, volleyball, basketball, what have you, when they travel, they travel in their UTRGV gear, and they're yeah. walking billboards. And that no other department from the medical school to the chemistry department or what have you has that pressure. Mm-hmm. So we represent the university and the region on so many levels, which makes us the most basically high profile section of the university. Mm -hmm. So going back to your question, I think anytime there's a um, positive result, especially in the state of Texas, I think it brings recognition to the university. And I think it it brings recognition, positive recognition to the Valley. And we all certainly need that. 
Yeah, for sure. Now, with the spring 2021 season being different for everyone because of coronavirus, the team maintained excellence with 16 new players, 13 freshmen that guided the program to its third double-digit win season and seventh straight appearance to the Western Athletic Conference Tournament. Talk about last season and what it brought to the program. I mean, last season we called it a transition season. We had, like you said, we had so many new players. Um, many of them were very young, never played Division One soccer. Um, it, it really helped on the level that we could basically go through a season without losing eligibility, teaching our basics, basically, mm-hmm. and our basic match principles and, and so forth, and give these players basically a whole season of devotion experience, a high level, without any real pressures. Yes, mm-hmm. we want to do well, and there was a championship on the line and, and these things. But in reality, it was, a, it was a moment where they gained experience without losing a year of eligibility. And now, even we've been training for three or four days, uh, in the preseason, you can see that difference. You can see our starting point is so much higher than it was in January. So I think it's a huge benefit. And on top of that, of course, because we won some games and we had a winning season and, and we did well, um, you know, it, 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 it's obviously a big, big bonus. Yeah, you sure. win and you're developing, it's a big bonus. My final question, now with the season again right around the corner in the fall and with you facing programs like Texas, Kansas State, TCU, and the new alignment of the WAC with Abilene Christian, Sam Houston State, Lamar, and Stephen F. Austin. What is the culture in the locker room and the goals the team is bringing in this season? I mean, our goals are the same every year, you know, is to win as many games as possible, mm-hmm. to try to win a WAC championship. I mean, you know, we've, we've come close a couple of times. We haven't won the WAC championship, but we've done a pretty good job of winning games overall. You know, we play these Power 5 teams. We've beaten a Power 5 team before. We beat Miami in 2018. But those games are not important at all. Mm-hmm. What's more important is the other games, the Corpus yeah, Christi, the current words, the same Houstons. Those are the ones you really have to be successful in. I mean, if you if you go out and you defeat Texas, but then you lose to Incarnate Word on the, the following week, it's all nobody remembers. Yeah. They all remember that you, you lost to Incarnate. Mm-hmm. So the way we look at it, we... Those games are, are not what we focus on. We focus on basically the games that we think are winnable or at least mm-hmm. they're of equal standing with us and, of course, our conference. Yeah, and any time, sure. of course, we can do well in, in those Power 5 games, we take that. You know, with Texas, we played twice. They beat us in overtime one year. They, they beat us 2-1 in 2019. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had some good, good battles against them, but you know, I remember one year we played Texas on the Friday night and Incarnate on the Sunday. We played really well on the Friday against Texas last one in overtime, but we beat Incarnate 2 nothing on the Sunday, and that's what really mattered. Yeah, for sure. I, I could care less if lost on Friday or won on Friday as long as we won on Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's all I have for today. Again, I want to thank you, Coach, for the opportunity to sit down and talk soccer with you. Good luck this season. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Casey Van Etten Sports Talk Podcast. A reminder, you can support me at anchor.fm forward slash Casey dash Van dash Etten with the number two. And listen to me on Spotify at Casey Van Etten Sports Talk Podcast. Until next time, this is Casey Van Etten signing off. Mm-hmm.